Being on the front lines in the fight to educate the next generation is tough. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with important updates, encouragement, and connection. Welcome to the Institute Leaders Lifeline. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Institute Leaders Lifeline. My name is Mike Sinclair and I'm the Deputy Superintendent of School Support at the Charter Institute at Erskine. And we're so glad you're with us. Today is the first in a series of longer interviews with important leaders in the state of South Carolina. I'll have some solo episodes mixed in there, but today we're gonna be treated with a conversation with the newly appointed chairman of the House Education and Public Works Committee, Representative Shannon Erickson. We'll also be joined today with our own superintendent, Superintendent Cameron Runyon. So I hope that you enjoy this. It's a longer than normal interview, but I promise listen to the end because she has some great leadership nuggets there at the end. So hang with me through that. Now, let me give you four pieces of information that I just want to remind our Institute leaders about. The first is January the 11th. Now that's this Wednesday. We'll be having our virtual leaders meeting and we'll be focused on hiring the best do's and don'ts in hiring staff. We'll also be getting together on the 9th of February. That'll be in person. And I'm so excited about the things that are coming together for that in-person leaders meeting here in our office building on February the 9th. Now, January 25th, some of you will be joining us down at the School Choice Rally. This is a great chance for us to make sure charter schools are given the cornerstone that we deserve in the school choice options. So make sure you're there, bring students, bring staff, bring parents, whatever you can do, let's make sure that we are seen as leaders in the charter school movement. Also, and this is the final thing, the awards banquet guidelines will be sent out in the month of January. So be watching your emails. This is student of the year, teacher of the year, volunteer of the year. All of that will be sent out by Ashley Epperson. So look for that email. I know you have some fantastic people within your school community, and we would love to make sure we honor them at the awards banquet. Enjoy the episode. Here we are today with Madam Chairman, uh, Representative Shannon Erickson with us. She's the newly appointed chairman of the Education House Education and Public Works Committee. I'm also here with Superintendent Cameron Runyon of the Institute, a good friend of all of us. Uh, and today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, where education is in South Carolina and maybe uh, how we can work together with our General Assembly to uh, change that landscape and keep improving and moving in the right direction. So congratulations on your new appointment. Thank you. Um, Thank you. That was exciting for us to see. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about kind of your journey through uh, the legislature, what's going on in your district and uh, kind of how'd you get here? Well, I was elected in 2007 in a special election when our House member moved to the Senate. And um, I'm an educator by trade. So having been a public school teacher and owner and director of independent preschools, um, education is really been one of my focuses through the entire career. I actually got involved in the political arena when regulations about children kind of collided with best practices. Right, right. And too often what sounds good when we're sitting in a room and what's applicable to what happens with real people in a classroom just don't don't mix very well. And, and so my knowledge of the classroom and then my knowledge of the legislative process has kind of made me one of those folks to go talk to Shannon about that. Let's figure out that how we can make that work. I mean, it's people's children. You want safe environments. You want a, a safe place for them to be academically um, and physically in their school setting. But there's so many intricacies these days. So that's kind of been 
the un, the underlying focus of, of anything I've done. I mean, I'm also a business owner, so the educational component of our workforce is integral to our state. All those things has played into have played into where I've been through first on 3M with Medical Municipal and, and Military Committee, and then Labor, Commerce, and Industry, then Ways and Means, and now here on education. So this is kind of culmination of bringing all of those pieces now to um, really the nuts and bolts of how we can make some things work. So higher ed, uh, K-12, and the public works part of it. And I don't want to shortchange the public works part because everybody wants our roads fixed. So while we're safely getting children to school on buses, I think we can also um, do some really innovative things with Governor McMaster and his staff on education with Ellen Weaver now in the superintendent's office with our really healthy uh, public charter school, um, with Erskine and, and our public charter school district and more players come and possibly it's children are going to have choices. We're going to have to let parents have some of those options. And I'm excited to see how we get to, to move the ball down the field to use a little football analogy. Well, you talked about uh, children and obviously children, families, that's really what we're in the business of. And as you know, the Charter Institute, we cover the entire state. We have 24,000 students uh, across the state of South Carolina. But your role uh, as chairman, you're responsible for much more than that. So you have you know, seven to 800,000 that, that you are in some way uh, have an impact on. And so in that role, you undoubtedly hear from families, you hear from parents uh, around the state of South Carolina, in your district and in other places because of your role. What would you say is, is really pressing on the minds of South Carolina families and their hopes for their children and, and their education around the state of South Carolina? You know, parents want to be more involved than they've ever been. And, and I think that's a good thing, but it's also a challenging thing because for so long they had kind of stepped aside. COVID really put a spotlight on what the curriculum was for parents who ended up being at-home teachers. And so all of a sudden, they're looking at the skills uh, and the, the, the certain benchmarks, if you will, that each child needed, most of them getting it through a virtual situation. And it did a number of things. It showed that some children were way ahead of what was going on in their classrooms and those parents were thrilled that their children were excelling. But it also showed the opposite of that. A lot of the families that I've heard from said, my child wasn't able to do this work, either by not being prepared for it, or perhaps that virtual situation wasn't a good fit. But we heard from parents in an astronomical number. And they showed up at school board meetings and in the classroom at the schools wanting to volunteer with a record, record number since, I mean, years ago when we had less families having dual income working situations and more volunteerism in the classroom from parents. That's, that's great for children, but it's been a challenge for a lot of the folks in the school board and school administration. Number one, a lot of schools weren't set up to handle the number of volunteers. How do you go about it? Do you do background checks? How does this work? School board members, Typically, I get phone calls as the state representative when it comes to education, when often, and you know this from your district, so many of our educational choices in South Carolina are district choices. So all of a sudden, more people were involved. And I think that that's a, a 
for me as an educator, it's an exciting opportunity. It's also a challenge. Parents want to have more say. They also want to be more involved. They also want to have more say on where and when and how that education is delivered. And those are all those things that kind of came about. I'm going to look at it as a silver lining from some of the COVID pieces because there were some parents asking for it, some parents taking advantage of it. And then when we all had that, that microscopic lens put on the scenario, parents realized that there are other options and their children had different learning styles. Some of them were not even aware that their own two children learned in different ways, not because they didn't care, but because they were not as, as laser focused on that. They were doing homework, but they weren't seeing all day long with the schedule. So parents want to be involved. Educators. Educators want choices, too. They don't like the testing that we set up for everybody the same all the time at the same schedule. Educators would like to have some opportunities to do their own thing. And I really think I'm going out on a limb here. I think they want less paperwork. That would be an accurate They want statement. a lot less paperwork <laughs> and more time directly with the, their students and those children. So those are the big pieces for me from educators and parents that we need to really build our, ourselves a more cohesive team and include all of the above. You know, we talk about all of the above energy, don't we? Right. I'm going to introduce the all of the above education because without all of us at the table and the child in the middle, we don't succeed. That's great. That's great. I love that. I love that child in the middle. All That's right. really what it should right. be. Yeah. Well, and, and speaking of, you know, putting the kid in the middle, one thing we're seeing is more of our elementary schools want to add pre Okay, when I add a K four in, you know, from your experience, talk to me a little bit about the importance of that. You know, it, it, it seemed to kind of be limited access for so long, but you're seeing more of, especially charter schools, wanting to add that K four. So we've we've rolled out one of the governor's uh, pieces was to make sure that four K was available in each county. Now, one of the good things we've done is four K has lots of options, and that's the that's the good part of it. Um, I actually worked with then Superintendent Ines Tenenbaum back in 2005 and six to craft the first 4K legislation that we had. But it was kind of a pilot. It was set for specific low-income counties, and it's evolved. It's changed over the years, but it's nationally recognized because it's everybody. Remember what I said about that child in the middle? It's your faith-based. It's your independence. It's your public. It's your private. It's everybody offering the same thing and keeping that opportunity for parents to choose the one that fits them best. Early childhood education is one of the most important things that we can offer, but the point there is offer. We don't want to remove children from homes where parents are doing this themselves. We want to encourage those family units, but we also want to encourage those other areas. When we first rolled this out, one of the things we came up with was the knowledge very quickly that the faith-based community was doing early childhood more and better than a lot of other options out there. And parents trusted those places in their communities. And that's really important for children under the age of five. Parents are very picky. They want to know the people. They want to be able to go there, see it, test it, even hear from all their neighbors. So as we grow our 4K, First Steps has done an incredible job of bringing all the same levels of accountability and quality to any of the sectors that I mentioned other than the State Department public 
pieces. And then the State Department has embraced doing 4K two ways, one district and two with our state model. So we're going to continue to grow that. Right now, the funding piece, which charter schools know a little bit about and yeah. having to tweak, is different for the districts versus the CERDEP one, which is the choice. We're going to have to work on raising that CERDEP to be the right amount of money. Right now, it pays for about half of the cost, and the service providers don't get to bill anybody for the other half. So it's basically, if you're doing that, you're given a gift to the state of South Carolina of about $5,000, which is a gift and we are appreciative of it, but we can't really continue people to unlimited time do that for us. Similarly to how we had to change the funding for the charter schools. You know, when we started, we knew that we had to start somewhere and we've grown to the funding to be a, a much better model that schools and districts can now plan for their budget. So everything is, is all tied together. There's not one piece. It's kind of like a balloon. You squeeze it, it's going to go one place or the other. But early childhood is important. Let's not forget, and I do not intend for the zero to three population to be something that I'm suggesting is in public school. I'm, I'm not suggesting that at all. In fact, I think choice for all ages is vitally important, especially those younger children. But we can't just forget that they need early education and care also, because those children can be learning through play That's true. in a lot of different places. And again, our, our independent faith-based and, and private schools have been doing these things and doing them well. And with the childcare crisis that we've got going on mm -hmm. right now, um, literally across the nation, we're going to have to look at ways to support families and support children and come out of this thing. So I think early childhood investment is definitely a good return on our, our dollar for our state. And at First Steps, they were having a summit, and one of the, the speakers said, if you can make sure children have quality early childhood experiences, then we don't have a problem when they're doing their testing with their their." third or fourth grade exactly and what they're doing. And we see that now through evidence. We have enough years that we can show that those things actually make a difference. You can trend that impact out. All the way, all the way down. I mean, it's one of those, those really pays for itself positions. And that's a win for taxpayers and children. Absolutely. I love that perspective. So you, you, you said something uh, interesting and you said it a few times. It's something certainly that I agree with as well as a, a parent that has chosen a choice option for mm -hmm. my family and my children. That you, you said that parents know best, right? Parents yeah. know best for, for their own children, and they know best what mode that may be. And that may be public, that may be private, that may be parochial schools, perhaps it could be homeschool or a homeschool co-op or some option like that. So as a, as a policymaker and in, in, in a key position in the state of South Carolina with education, undoubtedly, you know, you look around the country and, and we're, we all sort of learn from each other in the states, you know, some things we don't want to do and, and some things maybe we want to take a look at. So obviously you're aware that last year, Arizona passed uh, the, the most um, far reaching, uh, maybe some might call it aggressive, but far reaching uh, school choice law uh, in the state that allows, you know, certain students if they're qualified, you know, the opportunity to have the dollars follow them to private school or to homeschool or to other school choice options. So much more of a universal type of school choice, uh, I think, than we've seen in any other state thus far uh, in the country. But it certainly seems that is the trend that we're seeing in this country is towards more choice 
uh, at least in the main, more choice rather than, than less choice. So just curious beyond the sort of 4K, 3K kind of uh, environment, more broadly, obviously ESAs is a, is a great thing that, that I know we came so close to last year. And we we're certainly hopeful that that gets over the line this year and, and are willing to help however we can in that endeavor. Um, but what do you see for the future of school choice looking at a state, say, like Arizona or some of the others that are really ground you know, blazing a trail for the rest of us? Arizona's um, piece of legislation, the bill that they passed, is encompassing a, a very large group of, of children. And um, our ESA bill was not quite that large a universe of children, but it had some of the similar components, which I'm, I'm happy to say I think we can grow from. Um, we had really good wins last year on the collaboration on that piece of legislation and the feedback. Um, let me just right out the, the box say I am a supporter of all educational platforms. I'm a former public school teacher. so. Let's be clear that my goal is to not see us upend our public school system. It's the basis and, and is truly, we know from all educational situations across every state, the fundamental choice of most families. Now, does that mean it's the of all and the end all? This is a mom sitting right here who had children who learned two different ways. One of them went straight through public school, just fine, great. One of them around middle school, we chose a different option. They both made it through higher ed and are great adults and now parents of, of, of their own children having to look at these situations. And as an educator and a mom, I'm going to tell you, you can have children from the same parents and they do not learn the same way. We all have learning disabilities. There's not a single one of us that doesn't learn better one way than another. So if we all agree on that, then we all have to agree that we've got to have these options that are available. I'm a big fan of open enrollment. I think our zip code within our public school system is probably one of the biggest impediments that we have for families. I live in a low country region of the state where Beaufort, Jasper, Hampton, and Colleton all work on all kinds of things together. Yet one street, half of it can be Beaufort County Schools and the other is gonna be Jasper County Schools. And the family might work in Jasper but live in Beaufort. Why one child cannot go to another school where it fits what the family makes up when they're taxpayers of the state of South Carolina and the funds are coming and being generated from the same engine just kind of defies logic. So that's number one for me. I want to see that, that most districts allow it, but there's a cost component because we haven't figured out how they get those funds. And we need to fix that. We need to help those districts fix it. I believe we'll see less crowding, more parent choice within our public school system, and more opportunities for teachers in different places. Number two, definitely things like education savings accounts. These folks are taxpaying citizens. Their dollars are being paid in and going to things like our educational uh, programs. They deserve to have a choice. One of the things that we're going to have to look at is how our state allows for those dollars to be spent. And that's something that, that we're going to do this year. We're going to take a look and make sure that we're not pulling dollars away from what the public schools have to have to operate because the spaces have to be available and we have to commit to that. But there's also the flexibility that if you lose two children, it's not going to cost you a whole teacher. So we've got to be realistic and honest with each other about where 
and how we can move funds around to support that child in the middle of the table and let them have the opportunities. We've got the exceptional SC that is helping out our children with exceptional needs. Can't get my tongue straight today. But those children have those savings accounts. We've seen the dollars go up. We took a dip when there was a change in the tax code, and that seems to be correcting itself. We still could use more donors. Do a plug for that. Those businesses that want to give, or even individuals that want to give, it's a great place to make a difference in education because those children can choose a lot of different options for how those funds are spent. But the ESAs were the next step. For those children in poverty that, again, I'm going to say COVID one more time. I hate that I'm bringing that up. But again, it, it shined a spotlight on those who could choose and those who could not. And with those dollars, those children are not going to be hampered by a zip code in our public school system, and they shouldn't be hampered by the amount of funds they have to go into an independent, faith-based, or private education option that could have been available to them because they've got state tax dollars that should belong to them. It it's, sits in their lap. And then if they choose this, they can't have it. That's not the way we should do it. We should be really looking at that child. There are some people who are going to say, we don't want our tax dollars to go to independent private schools. Well, I would say all of our tax dollars get put into one pool and support children. That's what they do. And where those children go are parental choice that we need to support as a state. And that is the least restrictive learning environment and the most conducive to that child's needs. And it can be anything from an attention deficit to an extreme learning disability of, of, of our school for the deaf and blind. Any of those things can be in there. You can be a mainstream learner, but we need to be able to accommodate that. And when we say we're supportive of children in education, we mean inclusive. And that's not pushing dollars away from our public schools. That's pushing dollars to children. Yeah, I love that. I love that way of, of thinking about it more properly. I would I would argue that that the dollars belong to the child ultimately, it, not not to a school district or or to something some other entity. It's really about the kid and, and doing what is best for that individual unique child. And that's something that we say here a lot that, you know, we believe that children are individuals and that each children has a God-given potential and that it's our job to give that child an opportunity, an equal opportunity to achieve their God-given potential. The best they can be. Yeah. The best they can be. And and we've got to really look and examine, you know, part of, of the state education system is the regulatory world. And that's really what got me here in the first place, right? I mentioned that before on the, the things we write down as rules that actually the implementation. And those those are things that we can all sit together and think of in any kind of arena of children and education and come up with a better mousetrap. We just can. We've got to be able to collectively do that. I am hopeful that with all of that, I mean, Senator Hembry in the Senate, my counterpart there, we worked on domestic violence reform. And we were successful. Now, can we do more? Absolutely. You're never going to be finished. But we already have a history of doing major reform on a really tough subject. I am excited to be able to work with him on issues that will affect positively the children of the state. 
Governor McMaster has come out of the box saying, we are going to provide more choices for children. We are going to support those families. The new Speaker of the House, Merle Smith, Sumter has an incredible new charter school that, that he was a champion for because he realized that in his own town, even though they've got great public schools, there was a call for another option. So one does not preclude the other. And that's what we really have to get. I want to be the face of you can have it all. Right. Why can't we have it all? We can. If we are smart and we want to care about children, we can support our public schools and our public school teachers. We can support our charter schools that are public schools and, and those teachers. We can support independent faith-based choices for, for families and support those educators as well. Educators are not growing on trees right now. <laughs> I mean, we need to really support them in any arena where they're teaching and give them the tools that they need to, to be successful because all of those things that um, Governor Sanford used to say, you need fertile soil. They're, they are our fertile soil for that child to grow. And that's our job. Our, our job is to come up with what that fertile soil looks like and not be causing root-bound situations that are you know, just because we've always done it this way. We don't need to do that any longer. We don't need to do that any longer. We need to really think, think about these things differently. Especially when we think about, you've alluded to bureaucracy and things kind of choking out that innovation. <laughs> I got into the charter world in 06, opened up a school then. So seen funding change and, oh, yeah. and it's been like the Wild West. And you've mentioned some of the champions of the charter world um, with Senator Hembree and government masters and, mm -hmm. and others. Last year's funding formula change really had an impact on sustainability and getting really close to charter schools being more on that equal footing with um, traditional districts. So I'm, cur I'm curious, what do you see as the future for charter schools? Like now that we're able to do some more things and attract more schools, how do you see that landscape? I, I think that we're going to need to get our funding to follow the child. When we do that and we assign a dollar amount, we're close there, okay? We did a really good job last year on education funding. We, we've got some tweaks to make. There are some districts that didn't come out as equally as other with different weightings and things. I really prefer a strong weighting on special needs. Um, I, I know from firsthand experience with teaching those children. My, my sister is a special ed uh, teacher in Florence. I know that it takes a lot more. It takes a lot more. We've got weightings there. I'm not sure they're strong enough. I think I'd like to go revisit those and make sure that we are not shortchanging a district on those needs. Really important to me. Um, and then once we've kind of come to what the cost is of that, of that situational thing with weightings and poverty and English as a second language and literally all of the above. And we've we've gotten there. It's been a journey, but we really got close last year. Then I think the dollars following the child, open enrollment, all those things piggyback into a better funding stream for everybody to get a reimbursement per that child, no matter where they are. That's what I see. I don't see us deciding that one thing is more important than the other or gets more money than the other. I do think there are going to be some areas last year with the ESAs. We, uh, Representative and Coach Jackie Hayes, incredible educator, incredible 
champion for children. And his big worry about RESAs was transportation. And, and literally, we spent hours, and we talked about our 4K. Our 4K gives an allowance for transportation. If the provider wants to provide it, then they can pull a stipend down for that. And we actually came up with part of the ESA as being a usable, refunded amount of money to provide transportation within those dollars. Now, the caveat was it wasn't quite enough money to make all of it work, but I think we can get there. I think we can get there. And if we're cognizant of those little things that build the system to support those families, I mean, that's really what I see in South Carolina as, I mean, if you want to say our, our gold star right now is to look at how we support families. We're doing a really good job, I think, on our business um, rollout of, of supporting businesses, cutting red tape lowering taxes. We did our first wave on income taxes last year to help families. Now we've got to look at the nuts and bolts of what gives them heartburn every day. And one of those things is making sure they're happy with where their children are, are being taught or cared for. And so funding is going to be a piece that allows them more options. So it's really important for us to be those champions for them, that those options exist that no one is being asked to provide a service that isn't getting reimbursed at the real amount of money. I mentioned the CERDAP problem. You can't ha ask people to come to the table and not get the reimbursement on what it costs. And in case anybody hasn't noticed, wages have gone up drastically in a little, you know, in the, in the past year, even again, finding those staff people to do the job. So it's a large undertaking. I am, I do not mean to minimize any of this, but I think it's doable. I think if we really put our minds to it, maybe it's incremental, but I believe that we can get to a place where we know what it costs and we know what we can reimburse and we can look at the children and say, okay, Erskine, you've got X number of children in X number of schools and here's your waiting and here's the dollars. And Beaufort County, here's how many children you have in your schools here's your waiting and here it is and, and, and there's that. And if we do a better job at really making those numbers real numbers and not just yeah. some kind of arbitrary number. Um, and that's, that's the hard work on all of us. But, you know, we've all been collecting this data for a long time now. And we've got all the partners at the table. I think we can make it happen. Especially if we keep that focus. The focus. The focus has to be what does it take to educate that child? And, and that's really, it doesn't, it's not one person's money. That's the part that I, I can't stress enough. It's the child's dollars yeah. provided by all of us in the state. And some of us who are not in the state, considering <laughs> that the six percenters are right. quite often Especially second homeowners. Right. Yes. So, I mean, the, the, the donors that we love who pay that higher tax, um, but we've got to do a better job at quantifying those things and making sure the, the dollars follow the child where they are, allowing the parents to have the options that they feel they need. And I, and I love that. And, and being a, a free market guy, I, I love at the end of the day what we're talking about, whether it's open enrollment across district boundaries or it's charter schools or it's private schools or, or other options that we make more easily available to families. We're talking about competition and we're talking about letting parents – 
vote with their feet for the option that is best for their children. And, and I know it'll be a transition. It'll be challenging when it first starts because some areas are, are going to have to reassess what they're doing and, and they're going to have to take a deep look inside and is what we're doing working. Um, and, and then they're going to have to adjust accordingly. Self-reflection is not a bad yeah. thing. And, and, you know, now I'm also going to say as a classroom teacher, see, I'm a little straighter here, but as a classroom teacher, people think teachers are afraid of competition. Nothing could be further from the truth. Teachers compete against each other even. I mean, oh, my scores are better than yours. Hi, I'm getting this one. You know, my spelling tests were, were better this time. It's our nature to want them to succeed. It has nothing to do with competition between each other. It might be you know, fun to do with, with your colleague, but we're not afraid of what we're doing. Now we are afraid of being overly encumbered by things that keep us from that instructional time. That's the other piece of the equation. And that's everybody. Okay. That's that competition you were talking about. Everybody's going to have to make sure that they've got the model that gives the amount of, of teaching and instructional time devoted to the children in their way of learning. That's not always an easy task, but I think we've got so many talented professionals in our state. We can make it happen. We've just got to make sure that they're not overly taxed with other things that take them away from the children. Right. So speaking of the, the regulatory function of government, uh, which you alluded to a moment ago, we are about to have uh, the first new superintendent of education who was just elected, uh, Ellen Weaver, um, recently, and um, she'll be sworn in here shortly. But, um, you know, what is what what are your hopes uh, as, as chairman of, of the House Education and Public Works Committee for the first time in almost a decade that we have new leadership? And one, someone that you're familiar with, we're all familiar with, has been our friend and has labored long in the field of opening up options for families and, and supporting children. So what are your hopes? I, Ellen Weaver is such a dynamic person, all in, in, her, in her own right. But when she talks about children, she lights up and it's, no, it's, it's transformational. It's transformational. I mean, to have somebody's heart on their sleeve is what you've got. So I am excited because she's a fresh set of eyes. Fresh set of eyes with no predetermined answers. That's really a, a valuable opportunity to have when you can look at something and say, why do we do it this way? And when you're new, you've kind of got passes at doing those things. Um, there was a lot of folks who were concerned that she wouldn't be supportive of teachers in classrooms. I need to allay their fears. Yes. Teachers in classrooms are probably the things that she's most focused on. Um, good leadership to support those teachers in classrooms and parental involvement are kind of her key areas. When she chaired the Education Oversight Committee, so many times she talked about parents being involved in education and what was appropriate for children at certain ages and stages. I think she really fundamentally understands that we've got to attack the problems, keep the good, and rework what's not working. And that, I think, is, is going to be a lot of fun to see through. It's been eight years with, with Molly, and we love Molly, and she's done great stuff. But eight years is a long time when you think about, I mean, that's almost your lifespan in, in public school. I mean, yeah. Good 
okay, or in education at all. I mean, you got 12 years in a cycle, and Molly Spearman has been their superintendent for eight. So some children may not even remember anyone other than her, and some teachers won't have any experience. So it'll be, I think, a breath of fresh air to see fresh eyes with more of a, a, a global awareness. Her work with Senator DeMent and education for years on a, on a federal level and now state level and the EOC, she's, I think, institutionally sound on policy and understands how a tweak of, of that regulatory world can make or break something. That's going to be really good. We won't waste time on those things. Um, I think she'll put a lot of good people around her to be those experts in, in the fields that she needs. And I, I can speak for myself. I'm excited to work with her. I've worked with her on other issues. I find her to be very open and honest and forthright on how she's thinking. Um, I will return in, in same kind. I believe that Senator Hembry will as well. And I know the governor um, is, is all in. I think we've got a good team. We really have a good team. And I know that um, Senator Alexander and, and Speaker Smith are supportive of the work that we all would like to see done. So Ellen's got a, a kind of an open field here. Right. And that doesn't happen often. It really doesn't happen often. So with all of us ready to get to work and roll up our sleeves and, and really put children first, I think, um, and I shouldn't leave out first steps. I know that Ellen has worked with the director there, Georgia Martin, on some early childhood issues as well already. So that relationship exists. So it's, I believe, really from our youngest children of that readiness piece all the way up to our graduation uh, levels, I, I believe that she is going to have some ideas of, of options for choice, but also helping out our teachers who are in the classrooms, you know, on the front lines, because she has visited so many classrooms. I, I'm, I'd like to thank all the schools, and I mean statewide, because they really opened their doors this last election cycle to all of our candidates for education. Really was heartwarming to me to see them all invited in there, because that's how you get to know the candidates, and that's how the candidates get to know the schools. Mm -hmm. And from all of the candidates, on both sides of the aisle, the experiences in our schools, charter, public, independent, was just enormous. I think it speaks volumes to how important the communities feel that this issue is. And parents are, were making it one of the issues that they were looking at when they went to the voting box. I'm pretty sure they were looking at who was going to think about them and their, their children and how we moved the state forward in, in their education. Another one of those silver linings coming out of COVID, yeah. I guess. It yeah. is. Yeah. You know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> he doesn't waste anything. No, no. And it was tough. It was a very difficult thing. But, um, you know, look, I've, I've heard some children that the virtual learning opened up an entirely different world for them to excel, that they would have never had the opportunity to test before that. So there are there are times that, that we need to embrace those good things. It was some sad times, but um, our, look, our teachers stepped up. There were really some challenges with with the learning virtually across the state of South Carolina, and 
you know, we've been very blessed. The, the broadband is rolling out in South Carolina faster than we thought. Um, my budget committee that I just came off of was the one who put that in place and has, has helped move that along. And I'm really proud to say the corners of South Carolina are all getting those services. They're, they're not all up and running, but every single member of our state, the community stepped up. Every poll that was available, every small group knew that that service supported children. That's what I'm expecting with the rest of our education reform is the state figure has figured out that we need to support children and it doesn't really matter who it matters about the child. Right. And it's not just what's in that building, broadband, things that we never thought about. Things we never thought about until, until we and, had to. Um, it's, it's there, there's a lot to think about. I'm going to be meeting with, um, with some teachers today to talk about school safety. I mean, look at what our, our sheriffs have done across the state with safety and the team and the committee that was put together over the break on school safety. You know, South Carolina does one thing well, collaborate. You know, we all know how to work together. We just have to make sure that the focus is the same. And if we can really keep that child there, I believe we've got some good opportunities. Completely agree. And collaboration is really important. And yeah. we're running out of time. We've You've given us a ton of your time. I know you got a busy day. So maybe a question each. So kind of thinking about collaboration, you got a question? So I, I just want to say personally, as we kind of wrap up here, how thankful I am for you. We, we met in the earliest days of the formation of the Charter Institute. As we all recall, it was a challenging season. Um, but but you are always there as a supporter of the, of the children. And I think you were willing to give us an opportunity uh, because you were a supporter of the children. But, but throughout the past five, five and a half years, you always had one common refrain. And that was, I want the two public uh, authorizers of charter schools to come together and to speak with one voice, with, with unity of purpose and, and unity of vision. And I think at this year's Kids First Conference um, a few months ago, you think you got to see that on stage. You got to look out at a room full of 400 people from two districts who were there collaborating with a common purpose and a common vision, and that is the students of South Carolina. So from your perspective as someone who's been a champion of, of choice and, and a, a champion of giving us a chance uh, and then an advocate for everybody working together. How has that impacted the state of South Carolina and from, from your seat? You know, Cameron, when when we were having those growing pains, that's what I'll call it, um, there was no doubt in my mind that it wasn't going to work out. I mean, I knew it would work out. It's almost like having a new baby in the house, right? There's a little jealousy and a little, little, little adjustment going on. But, but when I asked you guys to sit down and figure out how to come up with the unified voice, things like goals for budget requests and changes in, in things that were regulatory, things that made you guys have a common purpose, child-centered, and not put the members of the General Assembly into picking winners and losers, quite frankly, because we were getting two different requests, basically, two big lists, and they weren't the same. And if we're all providing the service, there's certain things that are going to be the same. I'm not saying everything's going to be the same, but there's certain big line items that should be. And yes, I did make that request to you. And I think it was transformative. I think what it showed the budget committee was that when you were asked to come up with what really mattered, 
hands down, the children mattered most. The differences were put aside. And the budget request that came from that collaboration that I just mentioned earlier, that I think we can do across the state, literally, and, and you remember, Chairman Whitmire said that was one of the best budget hearings that, that he had ever had. I mean, he truly could not have asked for it. You gave him data on where your schools were, how the children had done, and all of the academic piece, but you also gave him really comprehensive budget information and where you had stood and, and all your accountability. That's what we had asked for, and you didn't just bring half of it. I mean, literally, in one year, you you guys got together and pulled the entire package together and said, if you give us a shot, here's what we can do. I think that can happen everywhere. So I believe that what you did was lay the groundwork for more of those opportunities. If there are other authorizers that come on, it's because you guys showed that when you let people work together, chances are they're going to do it. You know, it was not a, a one's right over another being wrong. It was simply, guys, we need to be able to simplify a budget and you both can't be getting different amounts of money or having these regulations work for one and not for the other. So showing that those commonalities could be there and you could still keep your identity, there's the lesson of the day. We can be accountable to the taxpayers, which it, we must be. But we can also maintain our independence and bring a good product that, that families can be proud of with their children and that children can use to go on to do amazing things in, in the world. I think we can do that. Thank you. That's a great sure. encouragement. Thank yeah. you. No, that's great. And really where we are right now in our series on podcasts is we finished before Christmas a series on stress and anxiety and how to work on that as leaders and help our teams work on that. And so now as we got into January, we're on leading with passion, leading yeah. with your heart. So so you're kind of right in the middle of that. So um, I guess I'll give you the last, last word here. What encouragement do you have for our leaders, not just school leaders, but leaders um, that listen to this podcast or teachers that listen to this podcast as they continue this new year? Be bold and be open. Be open. I, I mentioned that Superintendent Weaver had fresh eyes. I would love it if each teacher would go into their classroom with fresh eyes. Look at things in a different light and see what they might be missing. Not, not that they are doing anything wrong. I think they'll just grow and they'll, they'll find a, a new perspective. It's difficult to do that when you walk into the same classroom every day. And people don't understand that's what teachers do. They're in one room all day with the same group of children. It can be wonderful, but it can also be very tiring. It can be very draining to go from that stress piece to the happy. Leaders, encourage those around you and get rid of the small stuff. Really make the big things matter. And the rest of it, let it go. I mean, children do that better than anybody, right? You know, they do. They teach us the lesson that we ought to be having every day is, is embrace the moment to laugh instead of cry. Because right. we can cry over the spilled milk or we can laugh about it and say, oh, it looked like spilled milk. Do you remember that book? <laughs> Sorry, early childhood. I know. Okay? I know the book you're talking so, about. 
you've got a choice every day on whether you want to be the glass half full or the glass half empty. And as a leader, my job is to be the glass half full. I don't get to sit around with folks who are looking to me for direction and wine. Right. Don't get to do that. Now, if I'm sitting in a room with other leaders and we're brainstorming on things, we might take five minutes of wine <laughs> because we can all understand and, and empathize, yeah. right? Teachers need the same thing. Right. Parents need the same thing. But I would say as, as the now grandmother and not small children at home, I wish I had taken more time to laugh and not worry. I, we really should. And if COVID teaches us one thing, it's that we should be all together and embracing our time together and make it joyful. Learning is joyful. And if it's not fun, you're not doing it right. It can be fun. You can turn it around. One of my, this, one of my funniest stories in education, I was a non-traditional student and I had a professor coming in to watch me teach a lesson. And I had, it was um, a science lesson on camouflage. And I had cut up those little chenille strips in all these different colors and I'd gone out and sprinkled them around in the grassy yard outside the classroom. And we'd made this graph chart and the children were going to be the birds. And they were going to walk through the grass, pick up the first five chenille strips they brought back, and then we were going to graph it. See which colors got picked up yeah, most, most yeah. Right? right? A pipe burst and flooded the grassy area. <laughs> They had wet paper everywhere. <laughs> it was, um, and the professor's there to grade the lesson. And instead of worrying about it, we took our shoes off and we ran out into the grass in the water. We were soaking wet. The chenille strips were kind of disfigured, but we just made it work. I got an A on the lesson, not because it was a great lesson any longer, because the pieces had not really worked out that well. But because I went ahead with it and we laughed in the rain and the water and they learned the whole point of it was to just make do. And that's sometimes the best you can do. So as an early childhood person who has seen the lifespan and development of their own children and now looking at my grandchildren, I want us to be joyful. I want us to seize the day. I want us to be bold. But I want us to be happy. We can all sound like Eeyore all day long. It won't get us anywhere. Or we can decide that, do that little collaboration, find someone to sit down and talk about, and teachers, write to your elected representatives, parents, write to your elected representatives, send a school board member an email, send your, your state house or, or senate member an email, share your experiences so that we know what's going on. That's collaboration and the activism to us, we appreciate. So anything we can do together, we can do better. That's great. That's yeah. great. Focus on big things. Be bold. Be happy. Convent a little bit, but focus on those those important things. Mm -hmm. Chairman Erickson, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I appreciate all the time me. you've given us. And, and Superintendent Runyon joining on this episode. Um, as you continue this uh, collaboration and leadership as we go forward, take care of yourself and take care of your team. Be sure to follow the Institute on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. At Erskine Charters, we'll have all of these resources, including this podcast, many stories of our schools, and other things. So check us out. The opinions expressed within the content are solely the authors and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of the Charter Institute at Erskine or its affiliates.